Welcome to the CFN Podcast. What's going on, everyone? This is the CFN Podcast. As always, I'm your host, CJ Campbell, and I really miss saying that. <laughs> we haven't done one of these in a while, guys. It's good to be back on the mic with you. We're going to talk about electrolytes today. That's our title. Um, I thought it'd be a good one to share only because as I was at work the other day and we have Gatorades in our cooler, and I kind of thought, how cool is electrolytes and how they just pretty much control a lot of our daily functions and a lot of people don't know that because all we know is the commercials we see about Gatorade and how we should drink it all the time and how it improves athletic performance and things of that nature but we don't actually know what electrolytes are so that's why I'm here (laughs) I'm gonna give a basic rundown of what they are how they work, why they are so cool and important to our bodies, and just giving some basics. Nothing crazy. We're not going in depth with any research today, as I do in some of my other podcasts. We're just laying the basics, okay? Now, what we are going to go over is what they are, obviously, how they work in our bodies, what products and foods you can find them in, aside from sports drinks like most of us already know, especially if you're an athlete, uh, how it affects our training, and we are going to talk a little bit about Gatorade and what it does, why it's marketed that way, and some maybe better alternatives that you could pick. All right. So without any further ado, um, it's good to be back on here with you guys and let's get right to it. So what are electrolytes, guys? There's a bunch of different definitions that you could look up right now while you're probably listening to me, but that's not the point, okay? I found a really good article that gave a basic definition um, of what I believe is good to share with you all, and it's from the Rosewell Park Cancer Institute, and it is the electrically charged minerals and compounds that produce energy and aid in daily functions of the human body. Very plain and simple. So from there, we have our types, and we have sodium, We have chloride, not sodium chloride, like table salt. These are separated. So sodium by itself, chloride by itself, potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Let's start with sodium. Let's break it down a little bit. So in sodium, if you have low sodium, this causes water to move out of the cells. If you have high sodium, it causes fluid to move in the cell. Okay, and these are called hyponatremia and hypernatremia. You might have heard them in your anatomy classes, physics classes, wherever you might hear them, but that is the the correct verbiage for what I just explained. Okay, those are kind of like the, the key words. When these changes happen in the cell, what we experience is headaches, confusion, personality changes, all of this stuff may occur. So maybe our sodium's low, maybe it's too high, uh, things like that. Now, with chloride, again, this is separated. It's the the side effects of having low chloride are more severe. So this usually occurs when you have excessive vomiting, diarrhea. You know, we reach for the Pedialytes. We reach for the Gatorades, 
things of that nature, but we don't always know why because we don't always know what's in them. So when we do have excessive vomiting or diarrhea or taking diuretic medications used to treat fluid retention, um, it may be caused, well, you it ends up having low chloride in your system. So after you have the vomiting and diarrhea and stuff like that, you have very low chloride. Okay, not much else to that one. It's just very severe. Potassium is what we like to call the muscle electrolyte, right? Because you have sodium, potassium near your, pretty much in your cells, especially during muscle contractions is very important, which I'm going to go over later. But for right now, I just like to call it the muscle electrolyte. Why? Because low levels may not cause any symptoms like chloride does, but it may affect how our bodies store glycogen, which is what our main source of energy for our muscles are okay and we're gonna go over that later it's common in athletes uh, and most of the side effects with athletes when we do have low potassium this is where we get a lot of our muscle weakness our spasms our cramps our respiratory issues I'm sure most of you athletes listening right now like myself we start to get you know muscle weakness we start to feel weak in our legs if you're a soccer player hockey player uh, football player things like that you know, we, we take a huge toll on our legs for long amounts of time. So when you do get that weakness, it may not always be muscle fatigue, but if you're sweating a lot, you're losing a lot of that potassium that is aiding in the muscle weakness. And then eventually it leads to spasms, uh, leg cramps, if you've ever had those, like calf cramps, things like that. Or if, you know, you're watching an NBA game, it's very common in the NBA with basketball. Um, you see a lot of players sit down or the announcers will say, oh, they took them out of the game due to like dehydration cramps, things of that nature. So that's what they're actually low in is potassium most of the time. Now, calcium has similar effects to potassium in low levels, but with high levels of calcium, it may lead to your, you know, constipation, nausea, abdominal pain, bloating, things like that. And <laughs> we all know when we were kids, we ate too many string cheeses, right? And then we couldn't poop or we had stomach aches, or if you eat an entire pizza, you may feel like you literally have bricks sitting in your stomach. <laughs> uh, that's basically what's going on. You have a lot of high level of calcium in your body, and that's what it causes. It, it causes the stomach aches, the constipation, things like that. So just breaking it down for you a little bit more. With magnesium, low levels, I couldn't really find a ton of information um, on low levels, but they are similar to calcium and potassium. All right, it kind of falls in order there. So that's breaking down each electrolyte and what usually happens when you have low levels or high levels of each and what usually happens, okay? Now, if you guys remember, back at the beginning of this podcast when I told you the definition of electrolytes themselves, what did I say, right? I mentioned the word electrical, which obviously turns into electricity. Now, where am I going with this? What I'm saying is you have the electrical, the electrically, oh, excuse me, I can't talk. You have the electrically charged minerals in your body, right? That's because you wouldn't be able to do anything without electricity actually flowing through your entire body. And here's how it works. Everything we do is controlled by electrical signals running through our bodies. Now, 
I'm not, you know, trying to be some science teacher, anatomy teacher, whatever, physics teacher, doesn't matter. So I had, to, <laughs> I had to look most of this stuff up because I just didn't remember all of it correctly enough to tell all of you. So I have some pretty good notes here from a couple really good reference journals online. Um, and I'm just going to break it down really easy for you. So everything is made up of atoms. And atoms are composed of protons, neutrons, and electrons, right? Protons are positively charged, neutrons are negatively charged, and electrons, they kind of float in the middle, right? So when their respective charges are out of balance, an atom actually becomes entirely positive or they become entirely negative. This allows electrons to flow from one atom to another. Now, this is simple electricity, which means our bodies can generate it. We can actually generate our own electricity if you didn't know that already. And to those of you that did know that, I know I sound really cheesy and original, <laughs> but it's cool. It's really cool because most people don't know that. And I didn't know it to that depth until I went back and researched it. So how it affects our nervous system and our heart. We've all been in anatomy class, you know, when we're talking about our nervous system, sending what we call signals to the brain, right? We do this when completing uh, simple things like scrolling TikTok, opening doorknobs, um, I mean, starting this podcast by clicking my mouse or the space bar, doesn't matter. These all come from little signals that are sent. So what the point is, is that we are talking about little electrical charges actually jumping from one cell to the next, point A to point B. And that's how they get there. It's not a straight line like a wire, right? The electrons don't sit on a straight line wire from point A to point B. No, these are actually jumping from one cell to the next until they eventually get to point B. That's what we're talking about. Electricity is crucial for survival, right? So for example, these signals tell our hearts to beat really, really fast when we're nervous and in danger. When we're running, right? If something scares us, our heart starts beating really fast. Those actually come from electrical signals. Your heart just doesn't do that, okay? This plays a role in our fight or flight response. That's what it does. Now, the SA node in our heart, the synutrial node, that's located in the right atrium, actually controls the heartbeat rhythm in our bodies, including the blood transport to the entire body. It sends the signals where to take our blood. It's actually very interesting, and I didn't pay enough attention to this in school, <laughs> probably because I didn't care, and I wanted to get out of there, honestly. So without electricity, this natural pacemaker that we have, it couldn't function, which means you would probably die. <laughs> that's the baseline of it, but that's what happens. So how this all flows together, it's very interesting. So let's connect what's going on like this example that i just gave you guys with the sa node in our heart and the electrical signals for our heart to beat and beat faster beat slower whatever uh, let's connect all this to our electrolytes okay let's use the simple muscle contraction for an example because most of us that listen to this we work out right we we work out we train we we do vigorous exercise activities like hiking biking things of that nature and we're outside and it's hot sometimes so our muscles are constantly contracting no matter what we're doing, whether we're picking up our phone, whether we're um, you know, bending over to pick up a piece of garbage, doesn't matter. We're constantly contracting and relaxing. Now, when our balances of positively or negatively charged electrolytes are out of whack, it becomes difficult for our skeletal muscle to function properly, 
right? Um, that's almost kind of like common sense for function, but it's good to go over this stuff. So like the SA node in our heart, our muscles rely on those electrical charges from a nerve signaling a muscle fiber to contract. So without electricity, our brains wouldn't be able to tell our bicep to flex our elbow into a curl. So if we're at the gym, right, and you're looking at your bicep while you're doing a curl, which you shouldn't be anyway because that's a douche move. <laughs> but hey, we all do it at some point. So if we're looking at our bicep right now, right? And if you're standing there, please don't do this if you're driving, listening to this podcast for the love of God. But if you're just sitting there, look at your bicep right now and then flex your elbow. So bring your hand up to your chest, right? You wouldn't be able to do that right now if, you're, if uh, your brain wasn't sending signals through electricity to the muscle fiber to contract and telling your elbow to flex. That just wouldn't happen. How cool is that, right? And it's so so simple but most of us don't think about it because it's just daily function but we don't understand that electrical signals are jumping from cell to cell just to look at your bicep first of all and then flexing your elbow to look at your bicep contract it's pretty awesome so let's talk about the role that each electrolyte plays in an actual muscle contraction and there's so many different diagrams there's so many different ways of explaining this i'm just going to try to give you guys the not the bare minimum but just the easy way of explaining this. I'm going to do the best I can. So let's start with sodium and potassium. Earlier I mentioned how they work together in muscle contraction. Here we are. So both are critical for basic nerve function, first of all. Now, at rest, sodium concentrations are higher outside of the cell. That's how it always is. Potassium is higher inside the cell. Okay? Now, long story short, when the nerve signals the muscle to start contracting, right? Like, hey, dude, it's time to go. Like, it's time to, it's time to curl that dumbbell, right? The muscle begins to contract, and then sodium flows into the cell as potassium kind of filters its way out. That's how it works. So they're kind of changing positions real quick. Now, with calcium, this is pretty cool. Calcium is actually the activator for what we know as the sliding filament theory. And I'm not gonna get into that whole entire thing, right? We could talk about the sliding filament theory for, for a good amount of time. We did an anatomy and I just didn't pay attention. So <laughs> we're just, we're gonna give the, the basic critical info here. So calcium is the activator for what we know with this theory. So it's extremely important. Once sodium moves in, so as you're curling that dumbbell, right? Sodium moves into the cell, and then calcium gets released from the sarcoplasmic reticulum, the SR. And what it does is it activates this sliding filament theory. So it triggers the proteins to move along each other. And I wish I had pictures to give you guys. This doesn't really do any justice. Okay, I'm trying. <laughs> but if you want to look it up, you can. But what's going on is it triggers proteins to move along each other causing a full contraction. So if you're looking at your bicep right now, if you're just sitting there and you're bringing your hand up to your shoulder, thinking about curling that dumbbell, what's going on is proteins are moving along each other, causing a full contraction. That's what's going on. And then when you lower your hand, right, everything I just explained goes in reverse when the muscle returns to a lengthened resting state. So if your hand is up near your shoulder right now, you just flexed your elbow and you flexed your bicep, right? Because the bicep is the main flexor of the elbow. 
when you're lowering your hand back down to your side, everything is returning to its normal state. So sodium is moving back outside the cell, calcium is going back into the, the sarcoplasmic reticulum, and the potassium moves back inside the cell. Pretty cool, very simple. You know, I'm not trying to bore you guys, but those are the rules, not the rules, but the functions of what some of these electrolytes are doing in your muscles. This is why they're so important. And this is why I'm doing this, because you guys got to understand. So magnesium, we don't want to leave this one out. Magnesium is kind of the bad guy here, right? He's our villain. He's our antagonist to what calcium is doing. So what happens is magnesium binds to the motor proteins and assists in keeping your muscle in a relaxed state, right? Magnesium really doesn't want you to contract your muscles a lot. So it's going to work against the calcium and the sodium and everything like that to try and keep your muscle at a rested state. So when your muscle is contracting, when your bicep is contracting with that curl, the calcium needs those motor proteins more than the magnesium does. So it's going, hey dude, I need these more than you do, so I'm going to take them. <laughs> That's what's basically going on. So what happens is when calcium takes the motor proteins to do the full contraction from magnesium, what magnesium does is, well, first of all, it's displaced. So the magnesium is displaced, and then when the magnesium is in a shortage, this is what causes cramps. So let's say you're just sitting there resting right now, right? If you don't have enough magnesium in your body to go through a couple good contractions and really stress the muscle, right? If your magnesium is already at a low state or at low levels or you have a shortage of magnesium, maybe it's you know genetic or medically, something like that, you're already at a predisposed position to have, I, how do I say this? You're more prone to getting more muscle cramps because your magnesium is already at a low level. That's what happens. So when you see guys in the NBA cramp up, right? It's like, oh man, well, it may be from dehydration, but maybe their magnesium was already at a low level because when it's displaced, if you already have a shortage of it, there's not, there's not much to displace. So when the muscle goes back to a length and resting state, you got nothing holding it there. So the calcium is just contracting and contracting and the proteins are sliding over each other and contracting the muscle, but there's nothing to bind back to the motor proteins. So you get cramps. That's what happens. Now, the very last one, chloride. We're not talking about table salt here, just regular chloride. This is like the weird cousin that no one really pays attention to <laughs> during a muscle contraction. Why? Because it's due to it being considering just the other half of sodium in table salt. That's what it is. No one really pays attention to it a lot. But it still has an important role in maintaining the resting state of cells. So that and magnesium are kind of like the weird dudes of the family that no one really talks to, but they still have an important role in the family. <laughs> That's the best way I can put it, okay? And trust me, I was laughing when I was making these notes. I was like, this is ridiculous. But anyway, uh, that's the easiest way I can put it for you guys. So all of these things have their roles, just at different levels and different importance. But, and what I'm going to go over here next they're so crucial to everything we do, whether, like I said, whether it's picking up garbage, scrolling TikTok, doesn't matter. We need those electrolytes. So why is it important? Well, we're left with this melting pot of these minerals and compounds that 
cannot even work properly if if even one is out of balance, guys. If one's out of balance, the whole thing is screwed up. It's like a huge chain. It's a kinetic chain. So without one, or if one is out of balance, the whole thing gets screwed up. Now, they play such an integral role in muscle fiber contractions and relaxations. So how cool is it that in order for us to do basic day-to-day functions, we rely on electricity in our bodies to send impulses to our muscles to even work? How cool is that, right? If we don't have these electricity pulses going through our body, like we wouldn't be able to go to the gym, we wouldn't be able to lift weights, we wouldn't be able to, you know, pick up your phone from the counter, stuff like that. It's very crazy. And this is all due to the balance of what we call electrolytes. Insane. (laughs) Maybe I just sound like a nerd, honestly, but uh, that's what's going on. So it's very cool. All right, let's move on to what foods and products you guys can find these in. So after telling you all this, you're like, well, sounds like I either need more of these or I need to find what works for me and what I like to where I can get these electrolytes because you guys need to stop thinking that the only damn electrolytes out there are found in Gatorade and Pedialyte. You got to stop that shit. Um, There's a lot of naturally occurring electrolytes in foods. So here's a couple of them. First, we got bananas, probably your biggest one for potassium. So if you're if you're a gym goer, you've probably heard this already before, but even if you're not a gym goer and you're kind of just, you know, wanting to focus on nutrition, eat the banana. Honestly, that's that's like my favorite one. I think it's the most important when it comes to um, pre or post workout food choices, things of that nature. So we got spinach, almonds or just regular peanuts. Uh, We got oranges, fish, yogurt for calcium. Uh, we got chicken, milk for calcium again, and one of my favorites, strawberries. Honestly, fruit and vegetables is the way to go for most of these electrolytes. Um, chicken, you're going to get some naturally occurring creatine in there as well. So that's also a really good one. That's why you see a lot of athletes eating you know, clementines. Maybe you're a clementine person on the bus on your way to an away game or right before a game. I used to eat um, an apple and a clementine every single time. And I wouldn't really get thirsty. I would get, you know, I'd still, I'd still use water, but if you're one of those people who eats clementines before a game or practice, whatever, you may find that you're not as thirsty because your electrolytes are in balance. You know, you're using fluid adequately throughout your body and you just need that water to kind of supplement hydration from there. It's very cool. So those are some examples. There's a ton more that you guys can research on your own. I'll leave you to that, but I'm going to leave you with those ones. All right, so let's close out this podcast. Everything we know about electrolytes so far, just giving you guys the very basic functions. Let's talk about Gatorade, and we're going to end with this one. Before we dive in, you guys got to understand that sports sports drinks, doesn't matter what it is, body armor, Gatorade, uh, Pedialyte, Propel, all this stuff, doesn't matter. They're all marketed and utilized to quickly replace electrolytes that is lost in sweat and urine. So the more extreme and vigorous the activity is, including the weather, right? You guys might be out in hot weather, um, you know, preseason conditioning in August when it's really hot and the humidity is up, things like that. The more electrolytes you're most likely to use and displace through your sweat. So should you guys drink Gatorade? And I'm just going to give you my opinion based on some research and articles that I've read in the past and talking to other people a hell of a lot smarter than me. Um, you know, my opinion is only if that's the last resort. 
and never when you aren't expelling sweat through exercise. So you probably shouldn't be drinking it if you're not really sweating or doing vigorous activity. And here's why. So to give you guys a little background, if you actually look at the Gatorade labels, doesn't matter if it's Gatorade Zero, I don't want to hear that shit. Like it's all, it's all the same. It still has the same properties. Okay. Some might have more sodium and sugar than others, but it all comes down to sodium and sugar. Okay. Now, Gatorade is filled with a lot of synthetic and chemically made electrolytes. It has processed sugar, high fructose corn syrup, and just other food dyes, right, to make it the different colors of the flavors. It has been scientifically proven to not, to not improve athletic performance of any kind, although it's known to many as some athletic performance enhancer that we all need just because we saw Michael Jordan use it. LeBron use it, Bryce Harper and the MLB use it. Like that's that's their marketing scheme. <laughs> and most of the people fall for it. So they think it's an important performance enhancer due to nothing but good marketing. So you guys want to know something that's actually crazy, right? We want to talk about healthier healthier alternatives. Ooh, excuse me. What's the fruit that most of us neglect, right? It's honeydew. A lot of us hate honeydew. I can't tell you how many times I get a fruit tray, you see that green melon sitting there, and you're just like, no, leave it, let it rot, throw it away. But here's the thing, and I think watermelon is very similar, and so is cantaloupe. I think watermelon and cantaloupe are very similar to honeydew, but here are some properties of honeydew. It's actually made up of 90% water, 90% water. I feel like watermelon's more, so it's probably even better. But honeydew itself is 90% water, and it's actually filled with all of the four main electrolytes. Insane. I didn't know that. Filled with all the four electrolytes. Okay? So you guys need to understand that you never always need to rely on something that we create as man. Because Mother Nature usually provides everything we need. It just depends on, first of all, preparation. You know, do you want to carry fruit with you? Um, Or... The other thing is too, what do you want to do, right? Do you want to drink the Gatorade? Do you want to eat the fruit? You know, what's easier for you? What's more accessible to you? It gives you the least GI issues while you're, you're exercising, you know? So when we drink Gatorade at rest, it really doesn't do anything to your body, but store all those sugars and syrups. That's all it does. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like if you were to eat a huge plate of Olive Garden pasta and not work out for like a week or two after you eat it. All that's going to happen is it's just going to store in your tissues, in your cells, and it's just going to build up that glycogen and your body's not using it. So it's just going to store as fat. That's what it ends up as. Same thing with Gatorade. It just stores all those sugars and syrups. While, okay, that's not the only thing, while also making you more thirsty due to the elevated sodium content in your cells now, right? Because if you were vigorously sweating and you were you know, losing all of those electrolytes in your sweat and you're displacing all of it. You're gonna, you have to add it back in somehow, you know? So if you don't expel anything, but you're adding in, you're just kind of building this huge tower of sugar, syrups, and sodiums without using it. You're not doing anything. You're sedentary. So what that does is it doesn't quench your thirst by any means. It actually makes you a little bit more dehydrated because you just put all of your sodium in an unbalanced state and now you need more water to balance out that sodium so it's actually making you more thirsty it's not actually quenching your thirst it's not actually healthy for you none of that and you can research all this 
I had to because I'm not going to come on here and just tell you guys a bunch of BS. It's true. So next time you grab a Gatorade, doesn't matter if it's Gatorade Zero, Powerade Zero, Powerade Propel, it, it honestly doesn't matter. Body armor um, does not matter. You need to be expelling as much as you're adding back in if you're going to choose those drinks. But hey, you can always choose the fruit as well. Cool? All right, guys, that's all I have for you today. I just wanted to keep it very simple and short to the point for you. Um, I could probably get more in depth with this stuff. I really like how electrolytes affect athletic performance, um, you know, giving people cramps, headaches, things like that. I just wanted to let you guys know how it basically functions throughout your body with those electrical pulses and where those electrical pulses are coming from to help you guys go through correct and full muscle contractions. It's very interesting. It's very cool, but I just wanted to keep it short today. We're at about a half hour right now. That's perfect. And I hope you guys have an awesome day. If you stuck around to this point in the podcast, um, thank you so much for hanging tight. (laughs) I haven't done an episode in a long, long time, but it's good to be back on with you and just kind of learn and share with you. And I hope you enjoy it. And hopefully I'll make another one here before um, taking that much time off. But I hope you guys enjoyed everything that I went over today and I will see you on the next episode.